0: Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're grateful for this word. We're grateful for your prophets. We'd ask that we would gain something here. In your son's name, amen. We're in Amos. And you said to yourself, there is no way that Amos is ever going to get preached out of. It's pretty close to that. Again, it's... uh, I forget what date it was. I preached out of Amos before, but one time. And usually, we look at the minor prophets. They, they are a collection of, woe to you, O Damascus. you know, And you sort of, I'm not Damascus. Uh, what is this to me? But sometimes, as you read through, especially Jeremiah or uh, Isaiah, uh, Al's a big Jeremiah fan, you get so many great moments of teaching, analysis of the, our, our humanity, our sinfulness, our God, that uh, it's a great benefit to read through them. Even if you say, I don't know what's going on, I don't even know what year we're in. Well, Amos is approximately 750 B.C. Okay? You say, where's that? Well, it's 100 years after 850 B.C. Uh, if you want to have a sense of where you are, Jesus was born around zero, but four, actually, four B.C. And uh, David was around 1,000 B.C. So in the 1,000 years between Jesus and David, around 750, um, after the two kingdoms, Judea and Israel, had split apart after Solomon, because David Solomon, then there's the division of the kingdom between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, And then, you know, 150 years or so, till you get down to the time of Jeroboam, the son of, not Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Jeroboam II. And uh, it's a time where, that's the king of Israel. Amos is a Judean prophet, but he's prophesying about Israel in Israel. And um, he's not, they don't take kindly to it, because it's a, You know, in terms of social-political moments, it's okay. The end is not nigh, as far as they're concerned. Uh, Everything is going along. Everyone is doing what they please, worshipping false gods, pretending to worship the true God, and it hasn't come back to bite them yet. And Amos is reminding them that it's going to. Now he says... I have a little quote here on the left hand side from Amos 7, after this. we're in Amos 5 this morning. Amos 7, 14, then Amos answered Amaziah, I'm no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. He's not a professional. He didn't go to the school of the prophets, which actually was the school of the prophets. He didn't go to seminary. God sent him. It's an almost a greater sense of, of moment. Yeah, you could accept a seminarian, you know, a prophet who'd been to the school of the prophets, but you know how professionalization destroys a message. Oh, they could be saying good things. They may know how to do their homiletics or their hermeneutics. Those are words that real pastors use. Uh, But Amos isn't one of those, but God called him. He was a shepherd and an agriculturalist, an arborist. But a great, one of the great prophets. Now, the section, you know, there's a bunch of warnings in the first few chapters. And we get to Amos 5, right about at the end of chapter 4. And it's all this talk of overthrow, etc. Jeroboam the second was not a good king. You're not going to get a lot of good kings, not in Israel. Uh, and uh, but they were getting away with it. They were getting. Away. Sometimes you feel that in our society that somehow that you look at the, the the civic society, you look at Hollywood, you look at TV, you look at the inner tubes. Um, you say, I'm not even relieved by looking at the church. You look at the church, you go, ah! And so even when the doctrine is precisely what you think is right, you're still going, "Ah, ah, ah! Hear this word, which I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen, no more to rise, is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land, With none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God The city that went forth a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went forth a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel Seek me and live. But do not seek Bethel and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba for Gilgal shall surely go into exile and Bethel shall come to naught. Now when you read through a prophet, when you, he's prophesying a particular historic situation and we want to gather looking over their shoulder either as the prophet, we look over the shoulder of the prophet or one of the lords and we want to know what God, our God cares about declaring, our God cares about preaching. You're not always sometimes congregations get this unfairly laid on them because pastors are always, you know, thundering you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Um, you're not always the problem. Sometimes you're learning what it is to be the prophet. What it is to feel like Amos or Jeremiah. You, you say How am I to look at things? And sometimes you are the object of the prophecy. This warning that's coming on Israel is going to knock them down by 90%. There's going to be 10 left of 100. And with that warning, whatever the warning is, and we don't know, since I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, and I have not been called by God to prophesy. I don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years in America or in Moscow. But not knowing doesn't mean something won't happen. And not knowing doesn't mean that wickedness won't get its comeuppance from God. God will take things down. He might not declare it by a prophet, but God is busy in his world. Now, I still have sitting on me the task of staying alive, you might say. Does anybody have that song pop into their head? Okay. just want to be sure you're alert to the classical references. <laughs> Verse 4, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal. Now these are other sacred places. They're high places. Gilgal is a great high place in and Bethel was the place where Jacob had laid his head on the stone. People find places to go to serve their religious needs. And that religious need, and this is where, as we look, if you are in the role of the prophet today, and you saying, how could I be a better prophet, and better preacher of truth to the, to the ungodly? How Or if I'm the target and I need to clean up my act regarding what I think my religious life is. And you see a lot of this. The, the, the moving the deck chairs around, different ships going on different people. Not really confident where they are. Or just like my life's not changed by the church I'm in. I think I need a better worship team or I think I need a better preacher or I need better this, that, and the other. They're seeking some situation that is going to give them the religious experience. That's what these high places would do. There were groves on it, altars on them, temples. And you go and you you get a moment, you get an experience. God says, seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel. You had to end up. Someone said, "What if I end up at Bethel, or would I end up in at All Souls Christian or or uh, Nazarene Church here in town, or wherever else you might go? What if I entered? Is is that yeah? But did I enter there because I sought God and lived, or did I look for a life by trying to arrange the best religious experience I could possibly have, the one that agreed with me the most, the one that served my sensual needs the best?" I was talking to Victoria during the break, and she's suggesting an upright bass and an oboe. I know. You, what are you going to do? That's going to be great. Just got to get. We're only going to witness to bass players and oboists until we get that worked out. But what you find yourself a, a, assessing sometimes these things as if the religious moments are coming to you to fill that religious void. Not that you are looking for your God. That you are looking for him so that you might have life. And that you're thrilled when you meet it at the Nazarene Church. And you're thrilled when you meet it at Trinity Baptist. You're thrilled when you meet it at uh, 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 Resonate and the various other churches that are preaching the word of God because we sought God to live. He says in verse 6, Seek the Lord and live. He says it again. Lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. The house of Joseph, in case you're wondering, Joseph uh, didn't have a tribe. He had two sons who were half-tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they were synonymous with the the northern kingdom, Israel. So sometimes Israel will be referred to as Ephraim. They're the house of Joseph. And it devoureth with none to quench it for Bethel. You, O oh you who turned justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. There's a basic, as we look, as we look, as either in the shoes of Amos or in the shoes of his targets, where things are being measured. As says, I know people can be religious. I know they can seek the gods or God in all sorts of different ways thinking that the religious experience is going to do it for them. But in seeking the true God, that person is turning on an axis of ultimate righteousness. That's that's what's moving them. Not the experience of religion. Not the establishment of a good home life or a family. When you choose a church because it's going to make your family better, you made a wrong choice. As C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, let your choice be in terms of whether there are truth and holiness there. Is there truth and holiness? Now, when I seek God, and you seek God, we sometimes have changed our image of God into something that makes a... They're good things. You know, family values are a good thing, right? <clears throat> family values are good. Uh, beauty is good, art is good but if I start choosing churches because the paneling is nice and the windows are beautiful and the organ is just good to die for I've made the wrong choice. You have to be the kind of person this instruction to seek God and live oh you who turn justice to wormwood Now, Wormwood shows up quite a bit in the Bible, finally, as an an angelic figure that is cast to the earth in the book of Revelation. But in all the circumstances of Wormwood, even there in Revelation, it ends up turning the seas bitter, because that's what it would do, the real root that is Wormwood, would turn water bitter. And that's pretty much what you get when right is not redressed, injustice. People feel unfairly treated when it's injustice. It's natural, right, because it wasn't fair. And we're not asking for people who just say, I feel unfairly treated because I lost. People who go to a game and think the cop, the uh, referees must have been boneheads or cheated for the enemies of you to lo- you know, to win over you. But when real injustice happens, Redress has not been made. Responsibility is not held to the causal agent. Bitterness remains. You've turned justice to bitterness and cast down righteousness to the earth. It's like tearing down a city. And I don't know if you've been to, you know, what your sense of other churches is, but sometimes you can look out at churches and see the ruins of a church there. You can look at their statement of faith. It's, it's all wonderful. I agree with everything in it. You look at their history. Wow, some great names there. And you look at the modern experience, and it's like the top of the Acropolis. It's a bunch of bare-bones, ruined temples, cast down to the earth because righteousness has not been maintained. What this passage largely angles on is justice and righteousness, as his watchwords for Well, he he compares it, uh, he aligns your valuation of those things with seeking the Lord. If we don't seek the Lord, we, we can be doing religious seeking. We think it's good because it's religious and we're seeking. But you have to seek him, and then to seek him, you can't just have this evocative Expression of I really, I really want to draw close to Jesus. And I sing, you know, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And he walks with me and he talks with me and tells me I am his own. And the tears are running down, the song music is soaring. And, you, but you know, who, who, in what terms are you seeking your God? Do you know the name of the Lord that you seek? He who made, it says, verse 6, seek the Lord and live. O you who have done this to justice and that to righteousness, he who made the Pleiades and Orion, some big notable constellations, and turns deep darkness in the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. Some of the biggest, biggest, immediate, obvious claims of nature, this is the God who did it. that's that's, that's the God who did it comma centered red type the Lord it actually is Yahweh the Tetragrammaton Yahweh is his name do you know who you seek Amos is announcing in the, the, the dulled hearing of all this old Judaism and the temples and the service of the priests and the sacrifices and all the stuff that's there you need to seek that God. Have you forgotten that God? Do you know that that God is based on righteousness? Have you watched as the evangelical church has slowly taken the teaching of the scriptures on moral issues, not just theological ones, and thrown it over the side? Well, because the world today is a lot more diverse, we've got to accept so many other cultures. Well, as the American Anglo-Saxon culture isn't more Christian, honestly, yeah, it isn't. But we don't accept sin. We don't accept injustice. Because if I'm seeking the Lord, if I'm seeking this God, Yahweh, what's he like when I find him? You don't want to grab your fists, or as we say in this church, your pudgy little fists, Full of your cultural endearments that you have learned to accept and desire and, and understand all the different problems that, well, whether it's psychological or syndromes or, or whatever, if we try to run to our God, it can't be Yahweh you run to. Oh, you'll have to run to Bethel or Gilgal. You have to go find a high place where you can stand with your fist full of the sin that you want to justify. And their worship before whatever god you found. Because it's only those gods that are going to let that go on. Oh, those other gods did let that go on. Some of them even provided male occult prostitutes in their temples so that you could go have a homosexual liaison while you go to church. Isn't that great? And our pudgy little fists are trying to collect as much of the world's sin as we can accept and try to claim we're still seeking the Lord in justice and righteousness. This Lord, Yahweh is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. Side note, verse 10, they hate him who reproves in the gate. They abhor him who speaks the truth. A little bit of side information from Hamas' notes he took. When people start saying things and boy, Jeremiah was big on this one, they did not think well of Jeremiah at all. He was really unpopular. He had the standing of the Westboro Baptist Church when it came to the Jews. They really didn't like him. They thought he was really annoying. They threw him in a hole. Amos is learning that too. Therefore, because you trample upon the poor and take from him exactions of wheat, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins, you who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate, Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. When we see the great problems in the world, not just the sin of the internal man, but the sin of the rapacious capitalist, or the sin of the unconstrained uh, uh, sexually deviant, Whatever, whatever it is, God knows about it. Whatever it is, you want to always say, am I taking the right stance? This is why if you're the young prophet, if you're the shepherd or the tender of figs, or the sycamores, I guess it was, tender of sheep and the dresser of sycamores, if you're waiting what kind of direction God's wanting you to preach, are you preaching thunder and lightning on the whole society the prophet here recommends you keep your mouth shut when you talk about it if you're going to talk about it you're going to talk about it in the Lord's terms not in the terms that once you saw the sin you want to, that's the problem with Westboro Baptists those are the guys that you know. God hates fags at any military funeral because I don't know why <laughs> I really don't know why. Everybody wants to punch them in the face. That's basically And they're, 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 they seem to be really bad people. But that's where they say, I noticed something and I'm now, my noticing of it is good enough for me to go after it. Because there's evil does not mean you have to speak. Because there's evil it does not mean you have to speak. It'd be prudent in many cases not to. It is an evil time. Verse 14, seek good and not evil that you may live. You notice what the recommendations are. They're personal. Seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. How do you... You can't force a people to seek God. But you can decide to seek God. That's what gets close to God. If I'm seeking God, in verse verse 4, verse 6, I do it by seeking good and not evil. Because then God, the Lord of God of hosts, will be with me. That's, I will have found what I was looking for if I was seeking good and wasn't seeking evil. So instead of being the prophet who changes things and calls good evil and evil good, instead of the prophet who could prophesy wine and strong drink for this people, for surely he would be a prophet for this people, you seek that which is good. You don't take justice and righteousness and change them. Because that what turns one to bitterness. If I don't understand what righteousness is, if I don't understand what justice is, I will be not seeking good. I will be actually seeking evil. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Now, in all of this, this is like, I've mentioned this a few times recently, that loving things and hating things is really what do I turn toward, what do I turn away from? That's when I love God, I seek God, I turn toward God. I move in his direction. If I am looking for righteousness, I turn toward it and I move toward it. If I hate evil, I turn my back on evil. If I turn my back on folly, it's what you love. You turn towards that which you love. It's how we know we respect something. It's how we know we care for something. Is it, uh, Lord Chesterfield once says, that I ever knew a man who spoke without thinking to someone he feared or to the woman he loved. You always think about how you approach the woman you love, how you approach the person you fear. You don't just rattle around inside church life. This is not created so you know we don't have programs. Even without programs, the the all souls experience, whatever it may be. Coffee. Fellowship with these people. You could have been coming here for a while. Where you just give yourself up, kind of like in a pinball machine, just to be batted about by the various Christian things that go on or are said and the fellowship and the catching up and whatever for a week to week and you might be faithful to that but I I have to make a decision here am I pursuing righteousness am I loving it am I hating evil because God's presence with me, what it all comes down to, if I want to be on Amos's side in terms of how I preach to others, when I'm warning my friends who are being casual, do I know what this is all about? Therefore, says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing. In all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas! They shall call the farmers to mourning and to wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through the midst of you, says the Lord. And sometimes we as Christians, looking at the sins of the age, the, the, the spirit, the worldview, whatever you want to call it, and yeah. He just said, oh my gosh, there's nothing to help. Oh, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. (laughs) Watch it. Watch your step. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Wouldn't it be nice? God just waded into the ungodly, and you got all these biblical imageries, the sickle to the harvest, and the sweets and the tares, and the and you're pretty well convinced you're not one of the terrorists. You're pretty well convinced you're going to stand on the hilltop while rivers of blood flow through the valley, and, and you will be on Jesus' side. <sighs> Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. <sighs> just isn't that nice. It, 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 wouldn't that just be great? solve the problem so easily you know you you could some people say okay I can't count on the Lord returning in the near future so I'm going to be try to build a utopian kingdom for Jesus and you you want to stay away from those people second group of people who understand oh there's nothing we can do oh Lord deliver us and so they yearn for the day of the Lord the judgment of God to be poured out because we can't fix it only the judgment can be poured out Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned with his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. It's not his day. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? we're all very ready we're all very ready to have God snap his fingers and move up the schedule of the end so that we don't have to face righteously the things that people have had to face our own death or other things it's easy for us when we're feeling you know, just a little out of sorts because of the wickedness in others to want that to happen but we've been given advice about how we can approach it. I can be turning myself toward the Lord and good, not evil, and justice, not injustice, and I can, I can be pursuing these things that I might live, that I can know God. You don't know how it's going to, the collateral damage... Like you're running from a lion and a bear, you know, or, or walked into a hole. Boy, dodged that. You think you've dodged it. But unless you've already stepped forward into life with a seeking of God, a seeking of justice and a seeking of righteousness, then you're like that guy who thinks he can shove that judgment off onto the world. And that'll clean everything up. And I'm going to see Jesus. And he'll quickly forgive me for anything I might have done. He'll make everything better. I won't weigh so much. God wants us to be doing something with our religious life that changes our outlook about that. That dependence on the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord—it's over, folks. God is not slow as some—what is it? As some count slowness but is forbearing towards you, not wishing that any should perish. (coughs) We sometimes want to wave the wand of God bringing the world to an end so we can have the, the general recompense on what we see as the wicked. Rather than saying, how do we live in a wicked world? What is Amos recommending you do in a wicked world where Jeroboam II is king of Israel? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to seek God. You're supposed to seek righteousness. You're supposed to seek justice. You're supposed to hate evil. You're not supposed to go to Bethel, Gilgal, or what's the third place? Beersheba. You don't look for the, that perfect religious experience. Because, verse 21, I hate, in red, I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and cereal offerings, I will not accept them and the peace offerings of your fatted beasts, I will not look upon. And some people think that if they can just put the best high place together with the best oboe-included worship team, with a great bass line, I've been in churches where my guts were jumping, you know. You could feel bass impact standing at the pew. They had pews, but boy, you could feel, that's that's my, what's my daughter's name? Michael, Michael's church. Just jumping. The band was jumping. Now, I I don't have a problem with that kind of music. They're pretty good. But some people think, either making the church or finding a church, that if they could just find the solemn enough assembly. You you, you get two camps, right? You get people who say, my entertainment lusts need to be covered or my beauty lusts or my, my sense of tradition. Solemn assemblies we got pointy windows. We could do that. We could have little, those two punks right there in the second row could be our altar boys. You know, little little starched bow, candle. I don't think they're going to do it. We could get one of those walk-up pulpits, you know. That would be great for the scripture reading. People would volunteer then. Solemn assemblies. You know God really likes those, right? No, we really like those. God hates them. God despises them. People love reverence because reverence tells them that how high and lofty their thoughts of religion are. God wants you to care about justice and righteousness and seek him, not an experience of reverence. And so some people, when you realize, talking about this notable, solemn, Moment in the temple or wherever they're carrying it out. And some people side with Amos. Yeah, that's right. What a bunch of stuffed shirts those people are. What a bunch. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Some people think if they could just make it, make your heart entertained enough, and have it another romantic song about the Lord. The Lord calls it noise. And he doesn't want to hear it. He wants to have people who seek who he is and seek who he is in terms of the qualities of the Lord that he wants man to care about, righteousness and justice. Now this next verse is the famous one, Martin Luther King Jr. quoted but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You've probably heard it on a newsreel or an old TV thing with Martin Luther King being played. Let justice roll down like waters. Now, whether or not that's a... Whether or not that's an adequate expression of what the verse is about, Because through this passage he's cared about justice and righteousness. I want you to think about the image. Not where it got fit into our modern civil rights movement. What's the image here? Let it roll down like waters. Like an ever-flowing stream. What's, What's the good there? What's that image? What's the... What's the image good? Have you ever been camping? This is the Northwest, You should, I think you're required to. Nothing is worse than finding a place to camp where no water is present, except maybe perhaps a pump that the, the park service put in and pump some water out. You want a stream, preferably with a campsite right next to it. Because there's all sorts of benefits, right? Go wash your dishes. Brush your teeth in the morning. The sound of it at night puts you to sleep. You always feel, you always, as that great passage in Jeremiah, like roots by the river. You're right there, pulling it up. This constant flow, in this case, of justice and righteousness that your life, wherever it is, whenever it is, you're camped next to these two things. That when people enter your home, they're either witnessing a family, a couple, a person, whose life is defined by having camped next to justice and righteousness for the last X amount of time. And if you are a young Amos, that's what you're looking at when you're looking at believers, when you're looking at people who claim the Lord. Are they people who are just into their solemn assemblies or into the music of their church and they call that worship God help them? Or are they people who love the righteousness of God the justice of God, they seek him in that, their heart is there they, they pitch the tent next to it because otherwise he's not listening. He, he, God is not just oh we didn't get his attention no you got his attention and he doesn't like you I mean we, we, there's a lot of edifying things being said about you, know, you know, God is love and occasionally those are things to approach maybe more than occasionally there's a passage I think it's in, in Psalm 3 I covered it a month, a month or two ago where basically it claims that your God is someone who likes to punch people in the face, knock your teeth out. That was the basic theme of that passage. God has, doesn't just have a responsibly good. He's not neutral or good. You don't just get to say, oh, well, yay, yeah, he takes all kinds, or, you know, with different kinds of services. No, God hates someone. He really dislikes it. And he wants to punch you in the face. And when you, God has gotten to the point where he wants to punch you in the face you might want to take some action. If you're ministering to people who you suspect God's going to want to punch in the face because they've replaced justice and righteousness with solemn assembly and and a worship team, you as young Amos are looking for a path to convey that to them. Now remembering, sometimes it's good to keep silent on the matter. But you can't stop seeking the justice and you can't stop seeking the righteousness. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings the 40 years in the wilderness of house of Israel? Was it, was it you? Were you the people that I was leading out of bondage in Egypt? Were you doing that stuff? now? Because what, what happens? You've got to listen to the counter. Because it, it was, when you're Amos... And you say, God despises your solemn assemblies because you're not seeking justice and righteousness. And what do they say in return? What did they say to Jesus Christ? We have Abraham as our father. You get that all the time. Because in those places, those traditional places of Bethel and Gilgal, Beersheba, Jerusalem, the real temple, fake temples, real altar, fake altars, People have a claim to tradition. We're the ones God worked with in the Reformation. Yeah, but you denied the Lord Jesus Christ in the 2000s. You're supporting evil today. I don't care if Martin Luther founded your denomination. I don't care if John Calvin did. I don't care if John Wesley did. I don't care if you go back to St. Augustine. I don't, I don't care who you pick up. God is looking at it and says, were you the guys that were sacrificing to me back in the wanderings? You, take up, you shall take up Succoth, your king, and Kaiwan your star god. This, both are gods of Saturn. The planet Saturn. Your images, which you made for yourselves. Therefore I will take you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. It doesn't matter that your father is Abraham. It doesn't matter that you belong to a church that goes in the way back machine all the way to the apostles. It doesn't matter. It's whether you seek the Lord. It's whether or not justice and righteousness exist in you. Your denomination could have that kind of history. Chronological continuity does, is not an epistemic source. It doesn't make something true. You know, sin's been around a long time, too. Hinduism goes way back. This is a moment of choice for everyone. For the Amoses among you, it's whether or not you speak to it. And if you do, how do you speak to it? How do you draw the believers you know away from the superficial where they're, when you don't find them seeking righteousness and justice, they will be, their righteousness and justice mentality will be slowly co-opted by the world. They will still be faithful at the temple. They will still be involved in their church. And their personal righteousness or their allowance of unrighteousness in their friends will slowly they'll slowly drift away. You have that moment of choice whether or not you say anything. Again, you don't have to. Sometimes it's advisable not to. But if you do, you're trying to get them not to have a different kind of worship service, but a different kind of relationship with their God, where the things God wants, people are seeking. the Things God wants, people are turned toward and are turned away from that which God does not want. The Amos 5, the memorable verse there at the bottom, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts will be with you as you have said. All these things occur in the Jewish people claiming Yahweh. All these things today occur in the church claiming Jesus Christ naming the name of Jesus naming the name of Yahweh worshiping at his temple going to the right church with a great history services you like ain't enough go to a service you like but you want to find some place that seeks God seeks righteousness seeks justice let's thank him dear Lord we're very grateful In your son's name, amen.